0: The way you perceive your salespeople needs to change, okay? They are just not these racehorses or these greyhounds that you can whip and whip and whip and whip, okay? And they're just gonna keep running and running and running and running. People don't work like that, right? You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen.
1: and welcome to the show. I'm actually really excited to have you on the show today. We are recording this on a Friday before we get out of lockdowns. So it's definitely brightened uh, my day and my week because you, you say things so directly, honestly, and you just tell people how it is. And that's why I wanted to bring you on the show today to talk about something that I believe there's still airy fairy not sort of cut to the chase type of speak so I want to get yourself on the show to speak about that but before we get into that we always like to start off with talking about you and our journey so please Ed uh, tell everyone a little bit more about your journey and what you sort of been up to.
0: Uh, First and foremost thanks for having me on and thanks for such a um, you know an energetic welcome. Uh, So where do we begin? Um, It's interesting so obviously as you know I run a Sales as a service business, and and we represent all different industries. And at the moment, are heavily, heavily involved in in IT and cybersecurity. But my my journey kind of started in a, in a totally, totally different space. So, oh, back in I guess two thousand and two, two thousand and three, uh, I was actually an aspiring athlete, and I was brought up actually in a in the housing commissions of Western Sydney. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of me and my mum. And I kind of growing up, ignorantly thought that I would be this uh, superstar basketball player, right? (laughs) So pretty cliche kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, as the old old kind of cliche story goes, you know, you get hurt, you get injured uh, and you need to go and get a job. So for me, where it all started is, you know, the area in the neighbourhood that I grew in, there was not a lot of opportunity and there's still, still not a lot of opportunity out there. But I was very, very fortunate that one of my good friends... Um, he came up and he said, hey, do you want a job in a call centre? And I said, "Um, are you kidding me? That sounds like a dream (laughs) Uh, because I guess I had put all my eggs in one basket. So he got me a job actually fortunately working at uh, TAFE New South Wales and I would have been about 19, 20 years old, 18, 19 years old and just taking phone calls, uh, answering questions about courses and um, I never really knew it at the time but this really shaped the way that we that i sell and the, sh- the way that i run my business because where i actually really started my career was in customer service which was listening to people's problems um, listening to uh you know what people want to do and where they want to go uh, in their life or in their career and then actually pointing them in the right direction so um you know from a young age speaking to people a lot helping them solve their problems Um, taking inbound inquiries, dealing with a lot of complaints, dealing with frustrated people, and, you know, just realize that at the end of the day, uh, if you listen to people um, and you take on board what they're trying to do with their life, all you need to do is really bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. So where it really started taking off, though, is um, as my kind of career progressed, uh, and, I, and I studied um, and all the rest of it, I actually got, to, uh, actually got involved in financial markets. So that's where I really actually started my selling career. So back in 2010, 2011, uh, a friend of mine who actually, you know, actually I played basketball with, he said, you know, Ed, um, you know, you talk so much <laughs> and, and you're very, very competitive, um, you know, and you've got a background in finance and accounting, you should come and work at this investment firm with me. And in that investment firm, we were selling research and we were selling funds to just everyday people, right? And because it was 2010 uh, and it was after the GFC, I had I had noticed something really, really interesting. I was kind of brought into this young guy's this firm, into this firm, sorry. And there was all these, um, I guess, elder statesmen, people who had been doing this for a long time. And after the GFC, I noticed that the way that they were selling, was no longer working, right? This hot and heavy Gordon Gecko, wall, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, egotistical way to selling. Um, it just stopped working for them. And the reason is, of course, as we know, is that, you know, after the GFC consumers got jaded, um, trust kind of fell out of the out of the floor. Um, but what I did notice was that just because the trust wasn't there, it didn't mean that people didn't want to do something. But you had to I guess instead of treating them as a as a red hot lead, you had to treat them as a customer already. You had to you had to give them customer service, and and that's what I that's where my kind of I guess my approach, which was really criticised initially for not being uh, too aggressive, um, and not again not being too wolf of Wall Street. Uh, that's where my approach of listening to people, adding value to them, you know, revealing your hand before they even have to ask for it, being totally transparent, warts and all. Um, it really kind of propelled me, um, you know, in my career. Uh, from, there, um, I was asked to, um, from there, I was asked to. From there, I was asked to start my first business venture with somebody who had kind of taken notice of my approach. So we started a property investment company in two thousand and thirteen, in which um, you know quite incredibly we were selling property to investors um, who had never met. Right, this is really fascinating. We had never met them. Um, in person. We had spoken to them. Um, we send them in the information that they need. We respect where they were in their journey. And these people were buying property off of us essentially via the internet or via a phone call, which was quite incredible. So, um, you know, again, just taking a customer-centric, transparent approach, giving people the benefit of the doubt that if you have, if they have all the information that they need, the likelihood of them transacting in your favour, um, you know, increases dramatically. So, you know, long story short, fast forward a few years, um, my business partner, Nicholas, my current business partner, at that time in his entrepreneurial journey, he had started a, a, a small boutique investment firm. And he came to me and he said, uh, hey, Ed, look, I've set up this business and I need to scale my sales team and, and I need you to kind of come in and consult. Uh, so what it actually ended up happening is I started just kind of randomly by chance around 2015, developing this reputation as a, a, you know, a sales consultant. And I started realizing the same problem across every industry, every industry, every industry I went through, whether it was media, you know, whether it was IT, um, you know, selling software as a service, selling finance, whatever it was, we had the same problem over and over and over and over and over. So then, um, you know, my business partner, Nicholas, said, hey, you know what, Um, we should actually take what you do and this kind of formula that you have, which is not a cookie cutter, it's a formula that does need to be tweaked from, you know, solution to solution, industry to industry. Um, and can we offer it as a service? So essentially, since two thousand and seventeen, um, we've been taking, we've been offering sales as a service, and taking a very kind of customer centric approach. That is, you know, I guess breaking all the traditional rules of sales, if that makes sense. But it's a human approach. Um, it's sustainable because, you know, sales reps don't get burnt out. Uh, prospects are having a good experience, not a negative sales experience. And, um, you know, clients are winning. Uh, and essentially, you know, that's, you know, the short version of a, of a long story. I hope that makes sense.
1: I love that. I love your story. Uh, it's always interesting because a lot of the people that are super successful have come from similar backgrounds to yourself. So, I think that hats off to you. Well done. Uh, Thank you. Head. I've you know when I when I first met you, I just I could build that rapport with you. And there's not a lot of people out there, so I think it makes sense that you're doing the type of role that you're doing now. And then one of the things that kept coming up for me when you're talking that really stood out were like the red hot lead. Like I know exactly what you're talking about. That real madman style. Like get on the phones, call a thousand people in five minutes. That type of ridiculousness. The too aggressive approach. Uh, and the way in which like people are, are selling across any industry is really antiquated. So um, that's why I wanted to bring you on the show because I mean, you mm. obviously work with cybersecurity clients. You are across from a sales perspective in general, what works, what doesn't work. I mean, that's probably how I got into doing what I'm sort of doing today because. A lot of people in our space really struggle on the sales, marketing, building trust, all of that type of front. And so then when I met you and what you guys do, I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is definitely going to uh, enforce what, what KBI does because there's you can't have marketing without sales, right? And this is the area that I really want to get into because I've been in the space for a while and I mean... I don't know Let, let's just what do you think about it like just tell me everything that comes to mind like where do we start because I feel like there's so much work to be done in this space and again people are taking this approach that you were sort of saying these these older statesmen old mates sort of thinking that their approach <laughs> in the 80s 90s yeah
0: yeah
1: are gonna work so I, I want to just I want you to just be honest right because people listening to this are like okay. well I need to get my sales team to actually sell better and potentially you don't need 50 people to to run a sales team you actually may need less people so tell me everything
0: okay well um geez okay so i'm going to just kind of a bit of a caveat here the 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 insights that i'm going to provide today for all intents and purposes of this podcast are kind of going to be more relative to the south to the southern hemisphere and because that's actually got a lot to do with where this started so uh, one thing at Sales Inc. I'm not going to name any names. We're kind of like um, people treat us like sales mercenaries. So they take us and they bolt our processes and our teams and our team members onto their business. So it's kind of like we respect our clients' privacy. So we don't. I'm not going to name any names or who we're working with. But I'll tell you, kind of, I guess how I how I fell into cybersecurity and I guess you know some of those differences. So I had a gentleman essentially who was you know rolling out a tremendous product, great product, and. Um, just met him, just met him over lunch, introduced by a mutual friend, nothing crazy. You know, he starts talking about business. Oh, what do you do? What do you do? And I was so in love with what this guy was trying to do because at the core of it, he was trying to actually fundamentally help people. And I went back and I said, oh, you know, that's awesome. Love what this guy's doing. I'm a fan. I'm going to follow him. And I just looked at actually his selling process. And I scratched my head and I said, oh, this is terrible. This is like an injustice on what this, what this person and what this organization stands for. And i told tell you where it first started with. They took a very, um, you know, as you put it, a madman approach, which was just like, you know, you want to create these funnels and you want to smash people in these funnels and it's call to action, call to action, call to action. And then we're going to get somebody to call them from another country and we're going to smash them, smash them, smash them. And it's a numbers game. And yes, it is a bit of a numbers game, but there's one difference. When you're trying to sell your solution in Australia, you've got to remember something. What's the population out here? Like 25 million max, right?
1: Tiny and
0: tiny. So you can't play the two percent game out here. You can't play the, the the game that they play in the US or in North America, where it's like you go out there and you take a shotgun approach, right, or a machine gun approach, I should I should say, and you try to mow down your market. And you know, oh, you know, as long as we can get one percent or two percent of the market, we'll be billionaires doesn't work like that in Australia. In Australia, you've got smaller, you've got less room for failure. It's a very, very small, condensed business community, right? Everybody seems to know everybody. Um, and you actually have to be really delicate and maximize your opportunity. So from our standpoint, um, that was the first thing that jumped out for me, which is like, man, like, why is it that that every anyone that's in IT or in cyber, they're obsessed with playing this numbers game, as opposed to nurturing their audience, adding value to their audience, engineering trust, uh, building trust, um, doing it in a very kind of ethical transparent way, respecting that the people on the other end of the call are actually just people and not a number and actually oh you know back to the, back yes. to the customer so serv- back to the customer service thing um, and you know and actually just you know we've got values here and one of those values is everyone is a customer even if they're not. You know, and it's really interesting to me the psychology of people. So, you know, I could try to sell you something, uh, Carissa. And what am I going to treat you a certain way when you're a prospect, but then treat you all of a sudden differently when you're a client? You know, it's kind of it was was always very bizarre to me. Um, And so that's the that's first and foremost. And and I think you know, I guess where our mentality changes over here, as I mentioned, you know, kind of a bit of a cliche underdog story. I acknowledge that, but. Because sales has kind of been so good to us as well um, and has given us a pathway and has allowed us to work with some of the best professionals in the world and the biggest businesses in the world and some of the most inspiring startups, um, your selling has to be treated with respect, you know. So if you're, if you're not treating the, the people with respect, if, if you don't have a respectful process, that is, and you're not taking the same value set into your prospects that you take into your clients, you um, you know, then it gets, it's tough and it's ugly and salespeople look bad and cybersecurity professionals in particular have a really, really, really bad experience. And then we're actually all doing ourselves a disservice because I want to, you know, you want to sell something. Trust me, these people do want to buy something. They do want to improve. They do want to improve their programs. They do want to improve the quality of their cybersecurity, you know, again, teams, programs, whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, everybody just, I, you know, to put it frankly, let's just chill out and let's reimagine the way that we're going to communicate with people, but let's first and foremost remember that they are people. So I kind of, that's, that's where I start always.
1: It's so true though, because I've been banging on this for years. So why do people just disrespect people? I know exactly what you mean, because <laughs> I've, been, I've been on every side of the coin. I've been a client, I've been in consulting, uh, you know, I, I understand what exactly it's like because when I moved out of CBA and I moved in consulting it's like no one wanted to know me then and then I say to people when they start their own businesses because I don't know they worked at ANZ Bank or somewhere like that it's like (laughs) people will treat you differently you watch and they're like oh my god you're so you're so right and so I want to get into this because people really need to hear this. Now, I can say this because I know CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, they come and complain because people are haranguing them in the market and if they went (laughs) to any conference, they'd stalk them, right? And we don't need to operate like that. It looks desperate. It looks cheap. And honestly, everyone's over it. And then they actually do a disservice for their brand and then that salesperson is... They just out the door within three to six months and i'll get into that in a second but this is the frustrating part because i've seen it i've advised people to stop doing that and they keep doing it so why are people <laughs> doing it still
0: ah that's a great question i mean there's so many questions in there by the way <laughs> so let me just let me just uh backtrack for a second so as you put it so you went from cba into consulting and you went from, oh, we've got to speak to Carissa to, you know, who the heck are you? Yeah. And I think the first thing you've got to remember is that. Um, no,
1: it went to people ignoring me. Cause like, oh, are you are trying to sell me something? And it's like, actually. Oh no, yeah. No. Yeah. It went well, to that. So the, yeah. automatically the respect was lost because I potentially was valuable to people when I was at CBA, but all of a sudden you go to the other side. And it's like, oh, I don't care anymore. Sorry
0: exactly so there's two things if you've got a big brand behind you and I say this with all great respect um you know nothing against the big brands but when you've got big brands behind you it's easy to just simply rely on leveraging that brand sometimes you think kind of that's enough to get a foot in the door and progress the deal and make the deal happen yes it is enough to get a foot in the door at times and and it does help having a big brand behind you but you've got to kind of remove that mentality first and foremost right you've got to kind of humble yourself and say okay um you know how do I add value? And it's interesting, right? Because uh, a lot of these, you know, small to medium-sized enterprises or businesses that are on the cusp of being a big big brand but aren't quite there yet, they actually forget that the big brands do a lot to nurture their audience, to add value to their audience, right? So, if I can pull this back for a second, I would say that's 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 the that's the first thing, right? Is you've just kind of got to humble yourself and say, listen, I'm, I'm going in. It's a one-to-one conversation. It doesn't matter, um, you know, no ego, whether i got a, a big brand behind me, whether I used to have a big brand behind me, um, whatever it is, we've got to lose this mentality. We've got to lose this, this, this kind of mentality that drives this madman approach. Um, and I'll tell you this as well. I can stand by this wholeheartedly. We have spoken to thousands of cybersecurity professionals um, in the last 18 months alone f- across a variety of different products. We've never had one single complaint. And the reason we haven't had a single complaint and the reason we're able to generate sales outcomes um, is because, first and foremost, let's take away all the smoke and mirror, let's take away all the ego, let's take away all the cute stuff. And let's ask ourselves, very frankly, how would you like to be sold? How would you like to, for somebody to approach you? And again, as you said, it's not it's not being chased around and pursued at, at, at some conference it's not getting the private number phone call, and then the then the next day it's the Queensland phone call, and then the New South Wales phone call, and you're changing all your different numbers. Um, if anything, that's actually going to dramatically reduce the chances of you converting the sale at the back end. So I think first and foremost, uh, if you're a sales professional, or if you're a sales leader, or if you're a CEO or or, or a director of of you know commercial outcomes, um, you need to slow down and say, hey. Uh, Are we adding value to the journey? Am I putting my sales team in the best possible position that when it is time to open up dialogue, people already know who we are. They know what we do. They appreciate and they trust us because, you know, we've added value to them along the way. Um, And, you know, we're transparent about what we're good at and what we're not. Right. So just... That's the very. That's the very first thing, right? Is you've got to say, have I, have I added value to this person? And then from there, I think what you've really got to do is, as well is you've got to understand that you're not going to sell somebody on the first phone call. You're not going to cult. You're not going to cold call somebody, um, or, or you know, or meet somebody at the first time, and just tell them absolutely everything about your solution, and then they're going to want to buy it, right? It just, I just don't think people operate like that, right? I, I've never seen it. Um, so then what ends up happening is it gets really awkward, right? You've got this professional, whether they're on the other side of a Zoom call, whether they're on the other side of a phone call, whether you've know whether you met them at a conference, and they're sitting there like, man, did this person really just try to pitch me their solution end to end and hoping for a follow-up call next week and, you know, going to send me mm-hmm. through some contracts? People are coming in too hot and heavy and people need to oh, chill out just a little bit. Oh,
1: it's too much. Oh, it's too much. <laughs> it's overbearing.
0: Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I'm not here to criticize salespeople. I'm a sales guy. I love salespeople. Salespeople have a very, very, very tough job. And it's, um, you know, and it's brutal because you go out there and you kill yourself to hit your KPIs, right? And then it starts all again the next day. It's not as if you're implementing something and mm. then you can just kind of sit back and watch your screen um, unless you're, you know, purely in e-commerce, right? Uh, we're talking about, yeah. it's a it's a really tough role. So you've got to understand is that when you chuck your sales guys into the deep end, right? And I hate, Do you know, one thing I hate is I hate this sink or swim mentality. You're a salesperson. This is the mentality. You're a salesperson. It says so on your resume, right? So therefore, I don't need to do anything. Here's a bunch of phone numbers. Here's a bunch of prospects.
1: Uh, <laughs> I have anxiety <laughs> thinking about this.
0: Well, well, this is where I'm going with this, right? And go for it. You know, and, uh, and by the way, you've got a 90-day probation period.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And if you're okay, we might extend it out to 180 days. And then after that, we might sign you on full time. So um, I'm going to try to avoid any, any, neg- any, you know, profane language here. But when you do that to people and you chuck them in the deep end like that and they've got to eat these, you know, proverbial sandwiches, you're putting a tremendous level of anxiety into their system. All right, so we all know the pattern. You get, a, you get a job, you post it on LinkedIn. I'm so happy to be a part of this organization and I can't wait and I really believe in their solution. And then like, cool, I need a, I need you to get me a deal or two deals or do $100,000 worth of deals in the first 90 days, yeah? And then this person all of a sudden goes from being really excited, inspired about their first role and they go to like, holy crap, I just went from 90 days to 89 days to 80 days, 70 days. I haven't got a deal yet. What do you think that person's going to do? Right, desperate, gonna, desperate, and
1: it's so true though. That's why people. This is where it all starts. It's actually the companies putting pressure on these salespeople that are so desperate. So, what's the salesperson?
0: So, what's the salesperson um, going to do with that pressure? They're going to transfer it. Who are they going to transfer it to? The client,
1: the, prospect. the client, the, cross,
0: the prospect. Right. Um. So what actually? So, and all of a sudden, get a lose-lose-lose scenario, right? Because the prospects had a terrible experience with your organization. I think we've all been in a situation where it's like we've inherited like a prospect or we've her- inherited an ex-client from like a previous rep and they, oh, that person, oh yeah, you know, and they'll give you some horror story about the negative experience they had with that person. Um, so, you know, again, the prospect is losing, the, the salesperson is losing, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's the business that does not necessarily have the structure in place to support this salesperson. They think that this salesperson is just the unicorn. They're the ones that end up losing. And they they lose in two or three different ways. Of course, they lose because they're not getting a deal, first and foremost. Uh, secondly, they're, they're losing because their brand equity has taken a hit and their reputation has taken a hit. You know, there's organizations that, you know, man, I don't want to call from that organization because those guys come on hot and heavy. Right. Um, oh, and then,
1: absolutely! You're and so right.
0: And and here's the best part, right? Um, you know, you, you walk past that sales salesperson's desk at about the you know at about the 90 day mark, or, or depending on how long your probation period is, or, or whatever the 70 day mark. And you know, you start noticing those seek.com tabs in in the browser. Do you know, because they're like, man, I don't, I don't want this pressure. I'm doubting myself. Um, so now the business has to then replace that person right? Because they're they're out the door. There is a lot of turnover in IT sales or software as a service sales or in cybersecurity sales. The turnover is off the charts. And people jump from one organization to another, um, which is, you know, again, everybody loses. The the business has lost three to six months worth of of salary, but also they've lost the opportunity cost when their competitors who are doing it the right way are are taking a bigger market share. Does that make sense? And then all of a sudden, you've got these, um, you know, these poor cybersecurity professionals, who are absolutely getting smashed at the moment, right? They're absolutely getting belted because everyone's working from home. So obviously we know that, you know, with the increase in the surface area, um, it means you've got more on your plate, you've got more to consider. You've got to make sure people aren't opening weird emails from their home network and introducing something that can move laterally and, uh, you know, through the organisation. And and not only that, they don't necessarily have more budget. So they've got to do uh, more with less, yeah? Their teams are stretched thin as well. So all of a sudden now you're calling this person with this negative energy. Um, they're absolutely stressed already. You're just adding to that stress. So, so you know what that you know what that cybersecurity professional is going to do? They're going to go with what they know, even if it's not necessarily the how would you put it um, best
1: the solution? Most revolu-
0: yeah, the best solution or the most revolutionary product right? It's like, you know what, I've just got so much going on professionally, not even including what I've got going on personally, right, that I'm just going to stick with what I know. And, you know, it's tough because cybersecurity professionals um, that have to make these decisions, um, again, quite often, they're not being approached the right way. They're not being approached respectfully. They do need to improve their programs. They might not even be happy with, you know, the controls or the systems or the process that they have in place but you haven't done enough to win their trust because the other side of the coin is what you've said sounds good but they don't really trust you and, you know, maybe they, they, they buy something off you, in, in, you know, on a, on a whim and they're not informed. They've been kind of sold the dream. They haven't been sold in a transparent fashion, you no know, warts and all, and now that person's life got even harder. So I, I totally understand why cybersecurity professionals are absolutely fed up with the phone calls um, While well, they're absolutely fed up with, with um, you know the the way that they're being approached, um, by these service and solution providers, and um, again, yeah, I think I think you know, brutally to be brutally honest, I think we can all be doing a better job, um, to sell, particularly in cybersecurity.
1: And that's why I wanted to bring you on the show to identify these are real issues. And I mean, I've seen people complain on LinkedIn. I've had chats with people, senior people. They just say, they just feel bombarded and they feel overwhelmed by the amount of calls, emails, people just scheduling stuff into the calendar that was unsolicited. And they treat these people like pieces of meat, really? right? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I've, se- I've seen it all. I've seen it all. Um, I mean, I've even, I've even seen people go to like people's husbands or wives to try to get to them that way. So, I mean, people, they will go (laughs) to all levels, man. Uh, who knows? And so look, we're not here to bash anyone. We're here to be like, this is a problem. This This is is a problem. problem. And if people think that it's not, I honestly don't know you've been living under a rock because it is. And that's why. There is frustration in the industry, and that's why deals can't get done because the way in which certain people operate is old-fashioned, it's antiquated, and frankly, it really just needs to stop. And that's why I wanted to bring you on here because what can we do as an industry? I mean, you've come from this background. You understand. People need to hear it from you, right? I'm not a sales guy. So it's hard for me to speak about it. I mean, you and I share very similar views, but sometimes customers just think, oh, well, if I start marketing, I'm going to get a deal in like five minutes later. And that's not how it works.
0: (laughs) No, no. So just to be really, really clear, um, at Sales Inc., we're not interested in lead generation, right? You need to generate your own leads. So what what we typically do is work with these databases. Now, I know there are so many businesses out there that only do half the job, and that is come out and do your marketing, generate the lead. They generate the lead. They might send them one little bit of information, and then it's like, boom, here's our price sheet. Yeah, and then. But um, hang on,
1: but just to jump in there, is the lead qualified? Because anyone can get a number from anyone from Mum and Dad's fish and chip shop on Freshwater Beach doesn't mean they're a lead.
0: <laughs> exactly, and you know what? Some leads will be, and some leads won't be qualified. You can't have one hundred percent qualified leads. You know, you're going to get. You're going to get some some kid who's, um, you know, just left these details because he's got a uni assignment. Uh, you, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're going to get the, you know, you're going to get the taxi driver. No offense to taxi drivers. My dad was a taxi driver. But you're going to get the taxi driver who's looking for a career change and just downloading everything he can. That's normal. That's okay. You don't need to have a perfect a perfect database, right? So, um, but what you need to do is, and I'll tell you right now, because we keep meticulous levels of data, what you need to do is once you've generated interest once you've generated a lead you've got to realize that you've only really done maybe half a job maybe maybe a third of the job if i'm frank with you you've really only done a third of the job which is generate some interest and for every hundred leads that you get you know there's going to be 20 straight away that are that are a write off like we have to make friends with reality first and foremost right you have to understand how brutal this game is it's like, And it's like, a, it's like a hot bath, so you can really ease into it and get comfortable in it, right? So that's the first thing. So where we step in, uh, Carissa, is, okay, you've done that. You've spent your marketing dollars. You thought just by spending the marketing dollars, as you put it earlier, that the leads are just going to start falling out of the sky and you can kind of sit back and put your sunnies on and, and kick your feet up. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, what you need to do is once the people are in your database, you really need to really add value to them while very subtly introducing your narrative, what you stand for, and the problem that you actually solve. So I can tell you now, we find that before we even are able to have a half-decent conversation with somebody, um, even the basic conversation that says, hey, I want to have a conversation with you about having a conversation with you, right? Which is like, you know, pretty much just like, hey, I'd love to to have a chat with you down the track or, you know, if you've got 30 minutes up your sleeve down the track, whatever it might be. Before, whether you, Again, whether you're doing that over the phone, whether you're doing that on LinkedIn, whatever it might be, we found that they typically engage with 2.5, um, 2.5 uh, blogs or 2.5 EDMs that are purely adding value, purely sharing insight. That's it.
1: Okay, so, so let, let's, let's get into that for a second because this is where I think people don't understand the difference between adding value and adding value because they'll say, oh, look <laughs> it up. They'll talk about themselves. No, they'll say, oh, no. we were listed in this thing and we won some award that no one cares about. So it's like all of these things. is cares? cares? Who cares? All these things which you're talking about them, right? We want to focus it on what do people get if they buy your stuff? So if you could elaborate on that.
0: I'll even take it a step back. I would say, I would say, um, first and foremost, you have to write something as their peer. You have to write something not as the salesperson, not as the marketing person. Um, you need to put forward whether it's co- you know whatever content, whether it's it's written, video, whatever It doesn't need to be written, of course, but you need to write from their perspective first and foremost. You need to re- relate to them, and you need to actually let them know that, hey, I'm in a similar position as you right first and foremost and this is what i'm seeing so kind of common challenge right but then this is what i'm actually doing to work around it or this is what i'm doing to tackle it does that make sense now what's incredible like so it's adding value 101 right what's incredible to me is how little people do that and they might do it once and they think that's enough so you don't <laughs> and then all of a sudden not only when you're doing that then it's all of a sudden it's a case of oh and by the way you know Here's my product. Buy it. Buy it. Buy it. Buy it. Um, You don't need to come on so hard and heavy. You just need to. It's like you have to earn your place in their brain. You have to earn that real estate in their mind, and you know you've got to add value. You've got to write. Um, What you also need to do, if we're now going to talk not just about feel good stuff but actual practical stuff, I'm a big believer that if if you're creating content and you are distributing it and you're adding value. you need to also be able to monitor who is engaging with that value right and you need to be very very specific about how you how you categorize that and how you organize that so if i've got you know john deciso and he's open you know, two content pieces i need to know i need to know that i need to know the last time he engaged with something i need to know that um you know what he what in particular he engaged with um and you know and then if i've got you know sarah the CISO, then, you know, and she's not engaging with anything and she's not having a bar of it or she opened one email and she's not interested in them them anymore or she watched one video and she's not interested anymore. Then I also need to categorize that accordingly. So when, you know, adding value and introducing content to people and introducing your solution, talking about common problems, how you solve those problems and all the rest of it, yes, that's good, but you also have to manage that data, right? And then all of a sudden what you start establishing is, who knows me, who's engaged, okay? Then you say, and who just right now is a high, high, high probability they are not interested in hearing from me. They've got other stuff going on, right? And that is, I would say, the first, the very, very first step to segmenting your audience, adding value to your audience, segmenting your audience and take, and, and and not and reducing the pain for everybody, reducing the pain of the sales rep, reducing the pain of the cybersecurity professional, um, you know, who's getting a random phone call from an organization he's never heard of. Um, and of course, reduce at the end of the day, reducing the pain of the business that is providing the solution uh, because they' at the, at the end of the day, it's those people, it's the businesses that actually suffer in the long run. So that's that's my first tip. Um, from there, again, now you know, hey, who's engaging, who's not? And what we find is before, again, two and a half pieces of, you know, two and a half content pieces, that's the average. Before we can even have a conversation about having a conversation, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. And I think you're so right. I mean, I see I this every day. And you know, I like going back to people talking about themselves a lot. And I was like to clients or people out there, and I'm like, you know, just writing this is not going to get you your outcome. No one actually cares about you specifically or your organization. So it's really about removing that ego, right? Like, how do you help these people? What does that mean specifically? as well like yes okay your product does x y and z and it does these cool things but it's like people buying it are not looking at from that perspective so i think people really need to take themselves out of i'm the salesperson but themselves how a customer would look to engage this product how if they were to buy it how would they look to do due diligence and uh quality assurance on the product or whatever it is and i think that's the way people need to approach this because It's still happening out there and it's gotten worse because of COVID. I mean, I've had people call me up stressed to be like, I I can't hit my sales number. I can't go out and meet people. And I think sometimes companies just think, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to hire 10 sales dudes. They're going to be on 150K base plus OTE or 300 or whatever it is. And then six months later, they're out the door. And then they start the same process again. So I want to get into how can you – if there's a company out there that perhaps – they don't have a sales team or they've got one guy, like what would be your approach to potentially saving these businesses money about doing it properly and doing it effectively? Because, you know, you don't need 50 cooks in the kitchen because you don't know who's cooking anything at the end of the day. So I want want people to understand how to be smart about this as well and not sort of just shoot from the hip and think having more people out there will equal more sales because that is fundamentally not true.
0: No. And, you know, just to give you an idea, you know, the reason we're able to offer sales as a service, um, you know, the reason I'm able to have this podcast with you today and, and, you know, I'm not out there on the street begging for change is because, you know, one of our reps essentially can handle not, not three different solutions, but three different businesses, right? And the reason... I've got, I, I can, I can get one rep that can handle three different clients and different businesses is, and and without them being stressed, as a matter of fact, they get healthier, right? The reason they're able to do that and hit their mandates is very, very, very simple. The way you perceive your salespeople needs to change. Okay. They are just not these racehorses or these greyhounds that you can whip and whip and whip and whip. Okay. And they're just going to keep running and running and running and running. People don't work like that. Right. Um, what you actually need to do is you need to, first of all, respect that you've actually got a person there, not a sales superhero, okay? And, and, and you know, salespeople also do that to do it to themselves a bit. They come in and they position themselves as these, you know, super high-energy sales heroes and, um, and all the rest of it. And it's just like, hey, listen, everybody just chill out. At the end of the day, I just need you to be a pragmatic professional that comes in every single day and executes day in, day out. But what I believe the organization has an obligation to, to do, to, to achieve that, and what a sales director might might need to do to achieve that is, is you actually need to create the sequences. You actually need to create the process and the steps. You've gotta be realistic and say, hey, just cause you've got a number in, in a database, it doesn't mean that we're gonna be able to call it cold, uh, set a meeting, give them a hell of a Zoom presentation in 30 minutes when they've got a million other things probably even dealing with a breach they probably just can't even tell you they're dealing with all sorts of crazy stuff and then all of a sudden oh from there we'll send you a quote and we'll just sit back and wait and then you go back to your boss and you say that should be a deal at the end of the quarter and the end of the quarter comes and absolutely nothing's happened and you call back this person and they just they just ghosting your phone calls um or, or you know but we've got, to, we've got to ditch this approach okay what you've got to do is you've got to break down every single step You've also got to empower your salespeople by letting them know what you need to do and say at every single step of the process. What is the goal? Okay, at every single step. So I'll give you an example. I talked about writing content. So we write content in a specific way, where it's short, sharp, to the point. Quite often, we don't make people click through. You put the content there in the body of the email, and we're able to track who's engaged with that. Pretty simple stuff, right? And you don't—that doesn't cost money. I mean, you go and get yourself a Mailchimp if you don't have any. I don't even—I think that's totally free. Um, And you can see who's opening your stuff, who's engaging with it, what they're clicking on, all the rest of it, right? It's it's really stock standard stuff. Okay, now you've got this person's phone call – sorry, this person's phone number because they did leave it with you once upon a time, right, Uh, when they're interested in in doing something or they downloaded some sort of report or or whatever it is that that they do. What is the expectation on that first phone call, okay? So you've got to understand that, yes – we still do need to make phone calls or send messages to people and ask for meetings. Unfortunately, that's part of it. And I know that that is, um, a problem for, for, you know, it professionals getting bombarded by phone calls every day. So you've got to be realistic about that. No matter how good you think your solution is, you know, if you you think it's the best thing, some sliced bread, you can't just pick up the phone and call somebody because they've opened one email and then pitch them end to end. So what we always try to do is be extremely respectful of the professional You've got to understand that, and you've got to have a mentality that they've left their details with you. You've got to cherish that. That's gold. It's not only that it's worth something, and obviously leads are worth something, but this person's giving you the this person is giving you their personal information, right? It's like there's something sacred about that, you know, especially in this day and age. So you have to respect it. And when you when you first touch base with that person, um, you you need to understand that they really don't want to hear what you've got to say, but if you can remind them that you already do have a pre-existing relationship and they have engaged with a whole bunch of your content historically. And there is a problem in the industry that they may or may not face because don't condescend these people either. Don't assume just because you solve a problem that they have this problem, okay? I think that's really what frustrates cheap, you know, these, these cybersecurity professionals. Cybersecurity professionals know what they're doing, yeah? They know, they're not, they're not making things up, yeah? So when you come in and you condescend them on the first phone call and tell them you're going to make their life a it's just so off-putting, right? Um, so, you know, the first thing I always say is politely ask if you can present something to them for this purpose. Now, the worst-case scenario is they'll say no, but because you've been respectful and you've added value along the journey, they're not going to tell you to F away. They're not going to um, hang the phone up on you and complain. Um, and what's actually going to happen is even if they're not interested – you've at least preserved the relationship. You know, quite often, I know cybersecurity professionals get a rap for being, uh, you know, annoyed. Um, but quite often, if you res- if you take a respectful approach with them, and you treat them as a person, they'll treat you as a person right back. Now, the benefit of that is it actually sustains you for one more day, <laughs> right? You don't go home feeling like absolute crap. Now, you might still go home feeling tired, because I acknowledge that it's exhausting. Um, and, you know, but you're not gonna go home feeling crap. You're not gonna go home feeling terrible about yourself. So the sales professional, but also the organizations driving um, these strategies need to understand that there's no one shot kills in this game, right? You have to be pragmatic. The next thing you wanna do is again, you know, then then maybe from there, depending on the type of product and, and, and all the rest of it, because there's all sorts of different products, some sales cycles are longer than others. But then what you're really trying to do is let them know You know, the problem that you solve and how that problem makes that individual's life easier. Okay. So it's pretty interesting because a lot of the time when people are selling cyber um, solutions or IT solutions or, you know, SaaS platforms, whatever it might be, they come in and they just talk about how awesome the platform is. Right. And then they talk about, they talk about actually um, how awesome not only the platform is, but uh, how it's going to make their business better. Right, but what about me? What about the individual that's got to sit here and implement all this stuff? What about the what about me, the, the the individual that's in meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, and I don't have time to sit down and scratch myself and set any of this stuff up? Um, so, what you've also got to do is you've also got to kind of take the time to let this person know how it's going to make their job easier, their life better. Because what I find is if the CISO is having a better time, if the CISO is uh, or the CISO, depending on where you are, if they're having a a better time in their role, then programs actually improve, right? We know that behind every good cyber strategy is leadership, right, and communication and a strong team. So what I'm always looking to do is say, okay, this is the problem that we're we're trying to solve. Do you face this problem? If you do, great. If you don't, I fully take that on board and I respect your feedback. I'm not going to try to shove a square peg into a round hole. Um, Okay, awesome. Now, hey, this is the problem that will solve for your organisation. This is why we're motivated to do it. But just as as importantly, this is the problem it's going to solve for you in your role and this is how it's going to empower you and your team. And in return, actually, you're going to get this amplifying, compounding effect on your program as opposed to here's a tool, plug it in and people will stop sniffing your port or people will stop... um, you know, trying to send you phishing emails or, you know what I mean? It's, you've got to really think on a more holistic level and you've got to ask yourself, how do I deliver these messages in a sequential fashion to get down to business? So segment your sales process, be mindful of the experience that somebody's having on the other end and don't try to have a one shot kill. There are no silver bullets. Yes, I get it. Sometimes you have a hell of a meeting and someone of you wants to do something straight away. But, um, you know, that's probably sometimes that's the worst thing that can happen to you because it sets this false expectation that you can do it day in, day out. And businesses need to understand that sales processes take time and that, you know, if we can just focus on not pressuring our teams and not pressuring our prospects, but actually being methodical in delivering a message and engaging the people who want to be engaged. And throughout the whole process, maintain your integrity by respecting the other person. uh, It's incredible the results that you get.
1: No, I love that. I think that's so important. And that's the other thing that perplexes me is this stuff takes time, right? And I'll I'll jump into that in a second. But a really quick question for you. There are obviously companies out there you can buy databases with people's phone numbers. Do people honestly think that I get Noah from, I don't know, X companies, a So if I call him up randomly, he doesn't know who the hell I am, that he's A, going to listen to me, B, Uh, Even look at what I have to sell, and then see even close a deal like that. Surely that must be rare. Like yeah, probably may happen, but I would say that's pretty low.
0: Yeah, list buying. You know, it seems to be a thing. Um, People are always buying a list. Oh, we've bought this list. We've bought this. But they think that
1: that's gold. They think that is like the euphoria moment. Like I've got a list. I've got people's. Now I actually think if you do that and you call fifty people on that list, you've actually just burned all your bridges. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. So what you've got to do is, and even if, I don't know, like, I don't, you know, I don't know how you really buy a list really legally, to be honest with you. I'm not sure about the ins and outs of that. Um, but even if, let's say, let's say you have a list, okay. For argument's sake. And you, you're in this bind now because it's like, I've either got a cold call them or send them an unsolicited email. Right. So it's like, Huh, okay, like you're you're literally just setting yourself up for a really, really hard time. And um, you know, you'll be lucky if you don't act and then I can see now why why there's so many complaints out there. So what you actually need to do is is find out where your audience is. And I know this is something that you do really, really, really well. Um, and you know, build it build it the old-fashioned way, right? If you build your audience the old-fashioned way by adding value, inspiring them to want to give you their information. What actually, what we find is this, is that instead of your database converting at a 2% rate, right, for every 100 people that we smash, we're going to get two deals and two complaints and then everybody else, whatever, Um, what you actually start finding and what we found is that your database can actually convert at about a 10% rate within 12 to 18 months, if not higher, right? And you know, ultimately, yes, it's a slower cycle. Um, sorry, it's a, it's a slower process than the one you have in your head, but it's actually a shorter cycle with a higher conversion rate. Um, okay. Now, when I say 12 to 18 months. And it's months, preserving
1: the brand, right?
0: Well, not even preserving the brand, it's amplifying the brand, right? Because you're doing things the right way. So, you know, I told you that just to, just to go back a step, I told you at the start of this podcast that, we were selling in, we were selling property to people who had never met us before. Now, high risk approach. And when I mentioned this to my business partners at the time, as opposed to taking the hey, let's hold a seminar, bring everybody in, lock the doors, and turn up the uh, turn up the heat, <laughs> and don't let them leave unless they buy, we said no, no. We're going to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt that if I give them everything that they need to know, right, and it is in line with their objective. Right? And every cybersecurity professional worth their weight right, or worth their salt has an objective. They know what the crown jewels are. They know what they're trying to do with their program. right? Now, they're not always going to tell you their objective. But if you can kind of respect that they have an objective, try to add value that, that helps them meet their objective, um, then all of a sudden, you know, those people are, they might not buy straight away. But the next salesperson that comes in and tries to pressure them without any regard for their objective, without any respect for their time, guess what? That person has eliminated themselves out of the game by default. So what we used to get is people would come back and buy from us by default because it was like, dude, I've spoken to five other people. They were not transparent. They were just pressuring me, pressuring me, pressuring me. They didn't allow me to do my due diligence. Um, They did not really even offer a solution or position the solution in a way that was in line with what I'm trying to achieve. uh, Like, I'm going to go with you. So we have to start giving people and professionals the benefit of the doubt that if we give them insights and if we give them solutions that are aligned to where they're at professionally, um, aligned to what the business is trying to achieve, aligned to some of the challenges that they face day to day, there's a high, high, high probability, or relatively high, I should say, probability that they will come back to you when the time is right. And I find it really hard, like I personally find it really hard to believe that cybersecurity professionals are going to drop everything that they're doing, right, and buy something brand new, off the shelf, um, you know, at a moment's notice when they've already spent a ton of money in the last financial year uh, or in the last calendar year. And they've got to see that through. So, as good as your idea is, or as good as your solution is, you have to be realistic. These people are invested. So, what you will need to keep doing is, even if that person is not ready to buy, continue to add value. Do you know what I mean? Continue to take a respectful approach. Continue to you know, nurture them, if that's the word you want to use. And I assure you, when the time is right, um, and if you've, you know, if you've got enough trust. Again, at least behind your your your, your image, um, because you know, frankly speaking, I think not a lot of people really invest in their image. You know, prior to their sales process, that's a story for another day. But um, but if you've done those things, when that person is back at the top of their buying cycle, they will reach out to you. So we have to be realistic, and we have to understand that if you're going to sell a solution in this space, let it breathe, give it time. That is the cost of doing business. You know, when you're selling SaaS, when you're selling an IT solution or when you're, t- or when you're selling a cyber a cybersecurity solution or service, that is the cost of business is that you need to be able to hang in there and you need to be able to add value. So that's my that's my take on it. That's my experience and that's what we've seen work for us. If somebody else has a better way to do it, I'm all ears. Um, but, you know, this is our mentality.
1: Love all that. Totally agree. This is what I say to people day in, day out. Uh Sort of what I'd like to sort of touch on now is the operative word that you said is be realistic, right? So, I mean, I've spoken to startups that got funding, startups that are bootstrapped, mid sized companies, companies that are around for 40 years, 100 years, large enterprises, multinational business, work with them all. All got different, same sort of problem. We need sales, all that type of stuff. The problem is different, right? So what I want to understand is for people like I mean I've spoken to startups and then they're like okay we need to get sales on that stuff. I said it's going to take time. You've been around five minutes. No one knows you. No one cares who you are. You've been around five minutes no one is just going to buy your stuff straight out of the gate. So I think there really needs to be a wake up call that there needs to be time to get that up and running. Right. So I am curious to sort of understand like, what it what's your sort of impression on that? Because this stuff that people sell, A, isn't cheap. It's not like selling a candle where they're five bucks or $30. Like it, it's
0: it's not like yes.
1: that, right? Yeah. And well, it's commoditized and you can get a candle anywhere, so you know what I mean? And so the sales cycle is extended now. It used to be 12 months. Now if you're looking at an enterprise, you're looking anywhere between 12, 18, even 24 months now from people that I've spoken to. So I think people are really unrealistic that yes, their product may be good, but you're not just going to wake up one day and all of a sudden you're an A-list celebrity. This is what I think people think. <laughs> Yes. That actors take 20 years to become an A-list actor. And well, so I well, think that there's this, there's this fallacy, right? So I really want to explore that because this is something that I see day in, day out, and people's expectations need to be aligned.
0: Absolutely. And, and again, you know, that, that expectation, the business owner or, you know, the, 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 the director of the department, whatever it might be, they need to be realistic about that and they need to understand that right? And the funny thing is, when you actually have this mentality where you recalibrate your expectations, right? And you're realis- realistic about it. And you're actually just saying, okay, listen, we're realistic about how long this could take. Yeah. Um, uh, but but we're also, you know, but but we're also going to stay in the moment and execute step by step by step by step by step. What I tend to find is Deals actually tend to happen quicker anyway when you do that. Again, purely because you've got somebody else out there with—we call it commission breath. You've got somebody out there with commission breath, and you can always smell somebody's commission breath, and they're just kind of saying, eh, "Oh my not god, interested. what the
1: hell is that? What yeah. is that? Tell me more about that."
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you, people can tell when somebody's just purely trying to sell them, of course, for you know, for their cons. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know,
0: how, how, this one I know all the cybersecurity professionals can relate to this. How many phone calls do you get, you know, in the last week of end of financial year? How many phone calls do you get in the last week of the quarter? Because somebody's got to hit their, uh, you know, their sales metrics. So we've got to remove that first and foremost, and we've got to say, hey, listen, um, these things do take time. We're going to build out a process um, of which we're going to kind of introduce our narrative to these organizations and actually get to a point where we can ask them if we can do business. And that, again, I'll tell you, I guess I'll tell you the seven pillars of what I believe, and this is probably a good time to take your pencil out. I guess the seven pillars, the seven pillars behind how you can kind of add value, share your story without getting stale, nurture your audience, build trust, um, you know, over that, over that, the length of that cycle, right? The seven things that you need to know. And that whether, you know, whether you're doing it by email, whether you're doing it by webcast, whether you're doing a video, whatever it might be, there's seven things that you need to touch on. The challenge is this, though. You can't touch them on all of them at once. You've got to kind of stagger these things out. And you can't, you know, you you can't deliver this information in a way that's long-winded and not digestible, right? You've got to deliver digestible um, content and digestible insights in a timely manner. So the seven things that we're always looking to, um, introduce and, you know, and and to help get the narrative out there over that, you know, six to 18 month period, let's say, um, are the business philosophies and motives, okay? Quite often, people are not sharing their philosophies and motives. What they're trying to do is come in and saying, we've got this thing that does this technical stuff, yeah? But they're not actually coming out and saying, hey, you know what, like, there is this problem out there and, and and we are so passionate about solving this problem. Um, and this is, but, but, you know, before I even get into the problem, um, you know, these are our philosophies. These are our motives. This is how we view the world. Does that make sense? Align people to your perspective. The second thing we want to do then is actually talk about the problem you solve. Now, the problem you solve is not the solution that you sell. They're two very, very different things. You know, qu- quite a lot of, um, Quite a lot of cybersecurity solutions. They do a bunch of cool technical stuff. But again, a lot of a lot of the problems they solve uh, revolve around improving operational efficiency, um, you know, creating more transparency, uh, you know, helping you report a little bit easier, uh, allowing you to manage something uh, and you know while saving time, for example. Um, so what is the actual problem that you solve? Let's talk about that problem. Let's relate over that problems. You know, people love have, people have problems. <laughs> so let's talk about that problem. And I'll tell you what I would do um, if or, or when I encounter the same problem. So what you're actually also doing is you're kind of normalizing the problem. And that's great because people don't feel so alienated by having to face this problem. It's incredible how many, you know, when we're speaking to, to, to cyber professionals and cyber leaders, man, like they're all they're all suffering from the same two or three problems, right? And, 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 you know, at the center of that is is this this burnout, this fatigue, you know, that's coming from something. And, And it's your job to find out what that something is and just be mindful that the problem that you solve is not what you're trying to sell. Now, before you even get into the technical deliverables of what you sell, you need to understand your points of difference, okay, your unique selling points. So quite often when you're creating a product or you're creating a cyber solution or creating a service, you're in this vacuum and you're in this echo chamber, okay? And it happens all the time. You know, it still happens to us over here, right? It's And you just, you keep getting the same feedback, you hear, hear the same thing, same thing, same thing over and over and over. And you think it's awesome and you think it's fantastic, but quite often you haven't really taken the time to see what alternatives are out there that actually attempt to solve the same problem, okay? Now what you need to do is actually understand what your points of difference are, or what your unique selling points are. What are those specific points of difference, Carissa? You understand? So I'm selling I'm selling some 2FA plugin. You're selling a 2FA plugin. What's the difference between mine and yours? As opposed to just coming in and saying, you know, Carissa, I've got this 2FA plugin. It's really really cheap and it's really 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 good. And if you don't have 2FA, you're going to get a breach. And da 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 da. And if you get a breach, you know, your life's over, right? We've got to come out and say, hey, listen, there's a lot out there. I understand that. ours does this a little bit differently. It solves this problem. Is that a problem that you have? Would you like to find out more? That's in a nutshell, of course, I'm giving you. There's a a big difference with your approach. And that's why understanding your your unique selling points is important. Only after that, okay, then you really can start talking about the technicalities behind it. Because the technicalities don't really matter. You know, if it solves a problem, it solves a problem. Does that make sense? And uh, but people, of course, need to do do their due diligence and find out about the technicalities. So I would even I would put that at number four. Does that make sense? I wouldn't even put that at number at number one. From there, and again, I think maybe you could maybe you'll agree with me here, Carissa. Maybe you'll disagree. But a lot of a lot of IT sales professionals they've got great technical knowledge, great technical knowledge, but not much else in terms of. Um, interpersonal, like, you know, trying to build that or the skills to build an interpersonal relationship with their prospect. And they're just so focused on what they do technically. And they're extremely bright, a lot brighter than I am am when it comes to this stuff. But do you find that that's a common problem?
1: For technical people? Yes. For salespeople, I find that some of them actually don't even know what they're selling and they sell the wrong product. Heard that many times.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. So (laughs) So that goes goes back to the problem, right? Sorry, go ahead. So
1: I've seen the inverse then as well. But yes, generally technical people focus on the technical stuff. And I always say this. Why? Because they're technologists. They studied this stuff. They love it. They live and breathe it. That's their whole world. I understand why they are what they are. And then sometimes you bring in a salesperson that doesn't quite understand the product, doesn't quite understand the problem the customer has. That's where the big disconnect is. So I think they need to have a bit more of a technical understanding to sell that very well. That's why usually your pre-sales guys are very important.
0: And again, pre-sales guys, that's part of a process. A lot of organizations don't have a pre-sales person. Does that make sense? And a lot of organizations are not actually even putting the pre-sales person in a position to succeed by nurturing that audience prior to the pre-sales call. Does that make sense? So I'm 100% with you on that. I will say number five is be very clear about how to get started. A lot of cybersecurity professionals don't want to give something a go um, because it's too hard to implement or it's too hard to sell to the CFO okay so you've got to be clear about not only how it's going to benefit you and your organization and position it in a way of course we all know that it's got to get by the cfo you know four out of five times but how easy is it to get started that includes from a pricing standpoint you know how relatively how easy is that to absorb from a technical standpoint how easy is it to i guess you know plug and play or or set up or import or merge and how are you actually throughout that process? How are you actually going to ensure that you're not compounding the problem of that cyber leader or that CISO? Does that make sense? Because if it's like you might have the best thing and they're actually really sold, but it's a clunky, it's a clunky, uh, it's a clunky integration or it's a clunky process, you're going to kill the deal nine out of ten times there. So that's my fifth kind of the fifth thing that we do, and you can actually write about these things. You can actually give people insights about how to implement new technology. You've got to you've got to be kind of you don't just want to be pushing your agenda. You again adding value means even stepping outside of the realm of of what you sell. Um, and then finally, actually not finally, number six out of seven is be transparent about your guarantees and risks. Now cyber is really interesting because second you start making guarantees <laughs> the second somebody's going to call call, call BS because we know that there's no silver bullet in cyber. but what other guarantees can you offer? Can you offer a service level guarantee in regards to you know your, your response time or your you know you have some sort of service level agreement where you'll get back to them within 20 24 hours be very careful about what you guarantee but if you can guarantee guarantee it. Um, but also be very just as importantly, be very transparent about the risks. So back bringing this back to, to what I was saying earlier, you will win by default, right, if you don't have to handle objections, right? I'm not into, I just want to say this, I'm not into objection handling, okay? I think objection handling is, it means you've been lazy, right? It means that um, you've just gone straight, you've cut straight to the chase, you've gone straight to the punchline, And this person is now, you haven't explained everything clearly in a digestible manner. Something's gone over their head. Something hasn't been articulated. And now they're saying, well, Carissa, what about this? Carissa, what about that? Carissa, you know, what about, uh, what if this happens? What if that happens? You should be so clear about that, that, and, and, that, that that person is not asking those questions and and that's going to result in two things right it's going to reduce the length of the sales cycle because quite often a cyber professional they're very polite i'm going to say like when you know they're kind of very you know the very polite ones what they'll do is they won't tell you that they think your product is risky they'll just maybe drag things out a little bit and you know what hey why not they've got no obligation to do business with you you have to remember that as well so if you're transparent about the risks they can assess these risks and weigh that up you've got, to, you've got to remember these professionals assess risk for a living yeah so let them know what the risks are have enough respect for them that they can navigate through that risk and they'll come back to you and say hey liz listen the, the risks outweigh the out, outweigh the pros for us okay and if you can get some feedback on, on regards to that take the feedback on board go back and improve your sales process but don't sit there and just say oh i'm going to handle this objection handle this objection handle this objection because now that person has moved away. From a buying mode into um you know like we're literally we're objecting against one another we're literally having an argument i don't usually see deals get done on arguments right not 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 in the southern hemisphere anyway just as in my little caveat earlier so be transparent about that and when you are transparent about the risk people will appreciate it they can assess their own risk but of course you don't want to close on risk right So don't never forget to talk about the key people in your department, in your organisation that make your business credible. And I think what we're not seeing enough of is people take the leap to, you know, share their story, share, share, again, their philosophies and their motives, share their history and kind of build that credibility. So as a business owner, you also have an obligation to give your credentials or your credibility to your sales reps so they can take that in the market because quite often that sales rep is not again the mistake is that they try to sell themselves that's the old way of thinking well you're really just selling yourself mate you know those ones and it's like no no you're really you're really trying to solve a problem okay and what you're actually trying to do is is is, is sell a vision and what you're actually trying to really do is sell uh sell people that they should trust you right so don't ever you know take the time to 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 understand who the key people in your organization are, why they're credible, what their business philosophies and motives are, the problem that they solve, what makes the nature of that solution unique. So what are your unique selling points? From there, get a deep understanding of the technical deliverables, be very, very clear about how you start and make it easy for somebody to start and be totally transparent about your guarantees and your risks. And do that in a segmented, digestible manner be realistic about sales cycles, manage your data, add value and be transparent at all times. And, and again, you know, just to just to, to wrap that little, you know, just to wrap everything we've been talking, uh, just to wrap that up, um, you know, that's, that's how it all ties into one another. Whether you're doing it by email, whether you're doing it by LinkedIn messages, whether you're doing it by phone calls, um, respect these people, don't try to sell them everything at once and just move Move in a sequential, pragmatic fashion, and you will win the race.
1: Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. That's the that's the approach people who are listening absolutely need to take and implement within their organisation. And I also just want to put also a caveat as well. We're not here to talk smack about other people. We're here because this is a problem in the industry. We're trying to solve it. We're trying to address it. We're trying to speak realistically about the issues that we see. Not all salespeople are like this. Some are, some aren't, but there's good and bad in everyone, right? No matter what you do. So I just wanted to clear that up that this is not us talking <laughs> down to people. Yeah. This is us trying to solve a problem because the I, I'm getting their clients that people are selling to. They're coming to me and complaining. So I'm trying to speak to people like you, Ed, to be like, you're educating people on how to do sales better so everyone wins, right?
0: Well, I'm with you, Carissa. Look, I'm not here to bash anybody. I'm just here to give it a reality check to the space. And if anything, if, you know, any of my... Um my sales brothers or sisters (laughs) are tuned into this one, you know what I really care about is is not kind of coming up here and, and, you know, preaching. But man, like, you know, getting deals done aside, you know, all of our mental health is on the line here, Carissa, right? I think we've all felt crap in a sales job. We've all felt pressure in that sales role. I think we've all been sold a dream as well. I think we've all had a bad sales experience with somebody trying to sell us something where we really like, you legitimately feel violated. You feel really awkward about the approach that that person has taken and it puts you off. It really rubs you the wrong way. Um, even they're not listening to your feedback, they're not taking it on board, they're just handling objections. Um, but also as a business owner, right? I know that running a business is stressful. And I know that you know running a business takes a toll on everything your health, your family, your life, right? And that's part of the formula of running a business, which is you know, how do I improve as a person? So, yeah, my standpoint has always been that, you know, the reason I, I do carry on about this stuff is because I – and what we always say is there is a healthier way for all of us, you know, to, to do business and we can get caught – we have a choice. We can create vicious cycles, right, or we can create a process that comes full circle. Okay. And we need to look at sales in a very circular fashion, as opposed to looking at sales in a linear fashion. And if we do that, and we're mindful about the cycles that we're creating for ourselves, for our business, for our prospects, for our clients, um, like I said earlier, you know, we're going to go home, we're going to feel better, Uh, you're going to have maybe a little bit less to drink, or maybe you're not going to order that, that binge food or that junk food that you know, that makes you feel better. You know, you know, I love, you know, I love some, uh, I love some French fries after a stressful day. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) So, uh, you know, I'm human as well. I go through it as well. And what it's all about is just making sure that when we go home, yes, you're probably going to be tired. I get it. But at least you're not going to be defeated. If that makes sense, you're not going to feel kicked in the guts and you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to come in with, with that high energy. Um, And I'm not saying, you know, that cheesy high energy that you see in movies, but, you know that's that just that high energy within yourself knowing that um that you're making progress does that make sense so yeah for me sorry about that little rant but it's all about doing business in a healthier way uh, so we can all kind of wake up and fight another day because I'll, t- I'll tell you now um, i hate to say this um i've seen a lot of it salespeople and, and SaaS salespeople. um Man, I've seen them really fall into some bad traps, some bad habits, you know. Um, you have a long day, you know, you, you have one beer that becomes two beers, three beers, so on and so forth. You know, boozy lunches get a little bit longer. Substance abuse is a real thing in sales, right? Um, so we just believe that um, that needs to be eliminated as well. So if anybody's hearing this um, and if you can relate to that, fantastic. Uh, you know, you're not alone. If you can't relate to it, that's cool as well, uh, but that's where we're coming from and that's what we've seen a lot of in this game.
1: Well, I appreciate you sharing that and that's what this show is about, to, to get real answers to real questions. So, Ed, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we definitely went into a topic that I've always wanted to speak about intelligently. So I believe a lot of people will derive a lot of value out of this. If people perhaps have a question for you that I didn't ask you, even though I did ask you a lot of questions, how can they go about getting in contact with you?
0: Uh, well, pretty easy. So you can, I'm sure you'll share my LinkedIn. Um, I'm not super duper active on LinkedIn guys. I I know that sounds contradictory and that's because um, we've been fortunate enough that our approach um, has just generated a lot of uh, organic interest um, and really resonates with people. And as I said, our team kind of acts as uh, sales mercenaries, so we do kind of lay low and, and respect the privacy of our, of our clients. Um, but you can always uh, you can always send me a, a you know a DM on LinkedIn, or you can email us at info at um, Just attention that to Ed and ask me any question you like like i said first and foremost i want to add value i want to help salespeople. you know whether you've been selling for 10 years and you've hit a rut 20 years and you've hit a rut whether it's your first sales gig uh, if you're a commercial director and you've got inconsistency throughout your team and now you're actually spending more time putting out fires than you are celebrating wins i guarantee you um, that there's something that i can probably share with you um, that will you know, reduce those common problems that you have on your sales floor. Because I, I want to say this to all the sales managers out there as well. Um, I know that a lot of you are dealing predominantly with team politics every day, okay? Because, you know, someone's complaining about leads, somebody's getting more deals than the other person, you know, whatever it is, all the all the shenanigans that take place there. That's a real thing as well. And if again, if you feel that you're spending more time putting out fires and being a psychologist, um, then you are, actually inspiring your team, celebrating wins, coaching them through each stage of the process and empowering them. Um, yeah, hey, feel free to reach out. I'm not going to try to sell you anything, but I'm happy to give you uh, advice.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Ed. And I can't wait to get you back for another episode on the uh, cybersecurity sales uh, bandwagon.
0: Well, thanks for having me uh, on the show, Carissa. And, um, you know, again, I, I, hope it's, I hope it's been of help to anyone that's been able to, to hang in for this long and listen to it all the way through. Appreciate it.
1: thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital.
0: This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.